This podcast of Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by BASF. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Hope you had a good weekend as we kick off a new week. Glad you're letting us be part of your day. We're going to talk with Mike Pomerino, DTM meteorologist. He'll be sitting in for the vacationing Bryce Anderson today. It's starting to warm up in places in the Midwest But is it going to dry up enough to get uh, some field work done anytime soon? We'll be talking about that with Mike Palmarino. We got a Washington update today from Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. Lots to talk about with trade and with EPA and a number of other things. A Washington update with Senator Grassley today. And Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, will be joining us. We'll talk about the condition of rural bridges That's coming up on today's program as well. Right now, we're going to kick things off with a look at the news from Washington, D.C. Phil Brasher joins us from AgriPulse Communications. Phil, thanks for being with us. Uh, Great to be here as always. I guess we're expecting the ag census to come out this week, right? Yeah, that's on Thursday. That'll be very interesting. This is just great insights, invaluable insights into what's happening in agriculture. They do it every five years. Uh, the, the most recent one was done in 2017. Takes a while to crunch the data, and uh, now we'll see it uh, on Thursday. You know, some people question the value of these or the importance of them because, as you said, uh, there's a lag, quite a lag, by the time they're finished, the time they're right. released. But there are a lot of uh, decisions made uh, on different programs and things based on the results of the census. Right. A couple of things that uh, really provides, you know, when you drill down into the data, it's very, uh, very useful. One is on the structure of agriculture in terms of giving, uh, telling us how much consolidation is going on, where, uh, you know, describing that consolidation uh, tells us about uh, uh, beginning farmers, aging of farmers, um, tells us a lot about, um, it's going to be interesting to see if this local uh, regional food production, urban farming continues to grow like we think it has been. And the other thing uh, that's important is that uh, it, this data goes down to the county level and down to the congressional district level. And so it shows policymakers uh, where uh, food is uh, uh, and fiber is being produced and uh, the importance of agriculture in, uh, in their districts and their uh, regions. Phil, interesting uh, battle going on in Washington right now over sodium levels. What's the latest on that? Well, that's that's been an ongoing issue uh, for quite some time. With uh, obviously an effort, uh, I don't think there's any question that Americans probably consume too much sodium, um, and that's a particular concern with so many of us. Um, with uh, uh, high blood pressure, hypertension, and have to deal with that. Uh, there has been a lot of scientific debate about how far you should uh, take those levels down. Uh, FDA has been wrestling with this for years. Uh, it's, um, it's it's a real challenge for the food industry, obviously, because sodium is uh, has some very important roles, in, including making uh, processed food palatable. So uh, it's highly controversial that, you know, it's, it's been an issue in the in, uh, school lunch program in terms of how much to take that sodium. A lot of pushback from the schools there. Um, so on several fronts, and the dietary guidelines as well. So it's just several fronts. Um, and part of it is just the, uh, the science. I would say it's a combination of science and, and particularly just the, the struggle within the food industry to uh, – to bring down uh, sodium levels. Meanwhile, what do you expect to see in Congress this week? Uh, any action on trade that you see coming? I don't expect to see a lot. <laughs> this is the last week before the two-week uh, 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 recess around Easter. Um, 
shorter week for the House. Uh, don't expect to see a lot. The, the, the Senate is still deadlocked on a disaster aid bill uh, because uh, the White House and Republicans are objecting to spending as much money on Puerto Rico as the Democrats want. And uh, they have not uh, found a way out of that. Of course, this is uh, disaster aid is important, uh, growing and important, something the, uh, uh, the Midwest uh, with flooding um, and obviously uh, farmers down in the southeast and, and uh, uh, some uh, producers in uh, California have been waiting for this for months. Uh, that's it's still deadlocked there, um, and the House is uh, – not producing a lot. It, there's, there's not. The house seems to be really uh, split so far on the, the uh, NAFTA 2.0, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Uh, it's not actually been submitted yet. No action really from the house, um, and and no clarity really about where the Democrats are going to come down yet on that. You know, on disaster aid, sad to say, but there will probably be another disaster somewhere before we get this disaster aid package passed that uh, tries to take in the last two or three big disasters. Yeah, very well could be. Uh, I know there's been a fair amount of concern about additional flooding in the uh, in the Midwest with the uh, snow um, snow melting um, in the Rockies. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very welcome. Then we'll be at the, where you know it will be at the hurricane season. Um, yeah, but the one thing, the one thing they've sort of agreed. I think there's certainly agreement too is to add 2019 to 2018. That was the one, was the one big change uh, uh, in the draft bill last week was adding 2019. So at some point, some point they will pass something, but we just don't know when. And, of course, we wait to see. We hear from the administration that uh, they, they feel they're getting close on a deal with China, but we've heard that before. <laughs> yes, we have. At least, uh, at least at early March, maybe earlier. I, it's, you know, uh, you know, like the president last week said, uh, they, they may need another four weeks. Um, you know, we'll see. It's just, um, we, like you said, we've, we've heard this. Over and over. We're going to talk with this uh, with Senator Grassley about this a little bit later. But it's interesting: is the president uh, wants to use tariffs even more? Congress would like to limit his use of tariffs. That's going to be an interesting battle, too. Yeah, and I think right now it's it's more rhetoric, rhetoric and signaling. Um, I'm not sure if they have the vote. You know, I tried to get uh, Ron Whiten, who's uh, uh, top Democrat on the Senate Finance Committee, which has jurisdiction here. I tried to. Get, he will normally talk about anything. I tried to get him to talk about uh, uh, Chairman Grassley's uh, tariff bill that you're referring to, and he practically ran away. I mean, it's a tough issue for for, for Democrats. Uh, they're quite happy to see Republicans uh, deal with it right now. Right. All right, Phil. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for the update. All right, great to be here again. Take care. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. We talk weather next. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Powerful, effective, proven, tough, consistent, reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds. All backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. So you want to stay on top of the week's agriculture news and have it available at your fingertips. Well, tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast. It's 15 minutes of the week's top agriculture stories published every Saturday and available anytime on iTunes, TuneIn, and Podbean 
or by clicking the link on our website, AmericanAgNetwork.com. Tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast to go more in-depth on the week's top stories. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Wisconsin Senator Tammy Baldwin, we want to talk about the Dairy Pride Act that she is once again helping to sponsor. We have seen an explosion of imitation products that have gotten away with using dairy's good name for their own benefit, which is actually against the law, and that law must be enforced. So the Dairy Pride Act pushes the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, to actually enforce the law because mislabeling of plant-based products as milk really does hurt our dairy farmers and their hard work should be recognized and the law should be enforced. Dairy farmers across America are sort of in a perfect storm of uh, unfavorable conditions, whether that's the low price that they're getting for their milk or uh, issues of oversupply and trade wars. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your life. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, Back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Sitting in for the vacationing Bryce Anderson is DTM meteorologist Mike Palmerino. Mike, thanks for joining us. Uh, Boy, we're hoping for some drier weather this week uh, throughout the Midwest. Are we going to get it? Uh, Unfortunately not, Mike. It looks like we've got a uh, repeat episode with a uh, major intense spring storm uh, heading right to the heart of the Midwest during the middle of this week. Uh, the only good news out of this is that we're not looking at all that massive amount of snow on the ground that would melt and add insult to injury like we had with that storm uh, back a few weeks ago. But this thing's going to pack uh, a lot of punch as it comes in. It's going to produce, uh, it looks like about one to two inches of rain throughout the heart of the Midwest. It's going to produce blizzard conditions with uh, moderate to heavy snow as you get back into the elevation areas in uh, central and western Nebraska, central and western South Dakota, northeast Colorado, northwest Kansas. Just a uh, really impressive storm uh, for early spring. Not what we wanted to hear. It sounds like that pushes uh, field work planning uh, uh, off a little longer, doesn't it? It does. You know, I think at this point, uh, you know, not only just planting, but just getting some pre-planting work done as this pattern has been wet now, you know, going back to the fall, uh, it's going to be tough. Normally, the, you know, you don't start getting into a lot of corn planting through the heart of the Midwest until, you know, the last week or so of April. But, you know, even if this pattern were to flip around and change dramatically here, and there's no sign of that at this point, you know, you may not at the earliest be able to really get into any pre-planting 
field work until maybe the end of April if things uh, uh, start to quiet down. I was going to ask you, what do you see in your longer-range forecasts after this week? Well, we're in a pattern right now that it's really like clockwork, where we're seeing a storm on the weekend, and we're seeing a storm during the middle of the week. And uh, that pattern looks like it's going to continue for the next couple of weeks. The good news is, though, right now, the models are suggesting that that weekend storm is going to be uh, passing much further south, and that one may stay mostly along the Ohio River Valley. So it looks like it could really pound the deep south, maybe up to the Ohio River. But fortunately, the heart of the Midwest will, it appears, miss most of the precip associated with that storm. But then we have to look into next week, and we don't see any blockbuster storms right now, but we do see you know, at least a couple of rounds of, of rainfall that, you know, are going to keep the soils from uh, from drying out. Yeah, we talked about this before. You get into a, a, a typical spring pattern where you get these windows of a, a few days of dry and before the next rain event. And uh, while that works in some springs, this year it won't because it's so wet, those windows oftentimes aren't uh, long enough for things to dry out enough to get anything done. It certainly appears that that's pretty much going to be the case for the month of April. You know, I I wouldn't want to speculate into May right now because you get higher sun. These storms should tend to be weaker as you get further into spring. So, you know, but I think you're absolutely right about April. April could be pretty much a a lost month for uh, producers trying to get much work done. Now, we are seeing some warmer temperatures. We are. Uh, they're still going to be up and down a little bit, but we are in a mild pattern right now. It's still cool in Canada, and that's part of what's firing up these storms. You get the clash between the warmer air to the south and the cool air in Canada, and as these storms move through, you know, it is going to cool off. So we're, we're warm right now. We're going to go cool uh, during the latter part of the week. And then we should start to moderate again as we head into the weekend and early next week out ahead of the next storm. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Mike Palmerino. Uh, Mike, uh, I ask this because this would be the exception to the rule this year. Are there some dry areas around the country? Uh, no. Uh, the, the, if you look at Drought monitor, the only area that has any um, locally severe drought is in the northwest corner of New Mexico. It's, uh, it's just amazing. I can't remember the last time that we haven't seen California, uh, at least parts of the state, in, in some type of drought. But, no, the entire country is, is, uh, is wet. I was going to say, this, this is very unusual. I, it, you know, it doesn't seem in recent times we've had a stretch where there isn't some pocket of the country, at least, uh, dealing with very dry weather. I mean, to have this much moisture, this widespread, is unusual. It is. Yeah, I usually, you know, when if it's wet further to the east, it's usually drier to the west. Uh, and, you know, oftentimes, you, you know, California especially will stick out as being, you know, very drought-prone, but... You know, they've had just tremendous amounts of moisture this winter as well. Uh, you know, I, I think some of this is related to the El Nino event that is ongoing. It isn't a strong El Nino, but it's certainly enough to uh, support, you know, a very active storm track coming into the uh, uh, into the West Coast. And that storm track is still active. It's just shifted more out of uh, California. And now they're getting hit with, uh, you know, quite a bit of moisture up in the Pacific Northwest. All right, we always like to check around the world uh, some of the other key producing areas. Let's start in South America. How's their weather? Boy, it, it looks great. You know, the uh, the rainy season is still ongoing in um, central Brazil, and it's getting to be a little unusual to see it continuing uh, uh, this late into the season, but, you know, producers up there will take it. You know, with all the double crops they do now up there with corn and, and cotton, uh, to extend this rainy season is just uh, uh, a real boom for them, and, and they're just, you know, going to reap the benefits of a 
big, big corn crop in uh, in central Brazil, that second crop corn. And then meanwhile, as you get down into Argentina, where the crops now are basically maturing and uh, they're getting into harvest, uh, the weather patterns look uh, fairly dry right now. So, you know, you couldn't ask for anything better. What about uh, Australia? They're starting to get some moisture. You know, this is when they start to get into some planting in uh, eastern Australia for that winter wheat crop. And uh, um, it, it looks like right now that, uh, you know, the moisture's starting to uh, fill in. They had a very dry summer in uh, uh, northeastern uh, Australia, northern New South Wales, southern Queensland. But they have begun to pick up some significant amounts of moisture here over the uh, the last few weeks. So, you know, right now things start to seem to be improving, and, and that certainly bodes well for their early uh, winter wheat planting. Europe? Uh, fine in the north. You know, plenty, uh, you know, generally adequate moisture across northern Europe. Um, pretty dry in southern Europe. They're, um, they've had drought conditions in uh, Spain and uh, down into Morocco. It's been rather dry in uh, southern France. I've actually heard some reports that they're actually trying to get a little uh, early corn planting done uh, in parts of southern Europe because it's been warm and dry. And, you know, it's, it, it might be worth the chance trying to get that crop planted early. It's just a matter of, you know, are you planting into a drought or are you planting into a situation where the weather's open and then the rains will come in? You know, time will tell on that. But... Right now, it seems like producers are trying to take advantage of some of this open weather. And that Black Sea region? Uh, they're, they're a little dry, especially in the southeast Ukraine. Um, you know, it's not anything that couldn't turn around uh, quickly. You know, there, there's not a lot of moisture demands right now. The crop that would really begin to suffer if it were to continue into early May would be the winter wheat crop. Uh, at this point, you know, they came off of some fairly dry weather in March. It looks like it's staying dry in April. We'll keep an eye on it, but we don't want to, you know, push any panic buttons uh, quite this early yet. But overall, it sounds like most of the good weather is outside of the U.S. Yeah, it does, uh, you know, in terms of, and I'm not convinced that ultimately this weather in the U.S. won't be favorable. Uh with all this moisture uh, down the road, but, you know, clearly now it's it's a real negative to uh, uh, producers, and, you know, it's going to continue uh, probably through this month of April. All right, Mike, wish we had better news, but thanks for the update. You're welcome. DTM meteorologist Mike Palmerino. All right, lots going on uh, in Washington, D.C., at least a lot of issues. I don't know how much is going on as far as getting them resolved. We're going to get a Washington update next from Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. Be sure to stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Traders beginning to turn their attention away from the latest in the U.S.-China trade negotiations in order to focus on a possible blizzard that's going to hit the Midwest this week as well as 
Tuesday's WASD report from USDA, which is expected to show higher corn. Large investment firms are continuing to build a massive short position in corn. According to Friday's Commitment of Traders numbers released by the CFTC, managed money added over 33,000 shorts, bringing the total short position to over 447,000 contracts. Meanwhile, long positions dropped by over 12,000 contracts. The resulting net position is up 37% from this time last month. That activity comes despite indications that Midwestern weather is still going to hamper the 2019 growing season. The blizzard predicted to drop as much as 20 inches of snow on some portions of the Midwest. It supported cattle futures in early trade, but we've backed off in that market. For the grains and soybeans, we are trending three and a fraction higher an hour into the day, with new crop November at 9.36 and a half, up three and three quarters. Fractional changes in corn, December new crop at 3.90 and three quarters, up three quarters of a cent. Fractional changes in Chicago and Kansas City wheat. Minneapolis spring wheat trending four to five and a half cents higher. Live cattle futures an hour into the day, 15 to 67 cents lower. With the most active feeder cattle contracts, 50 to 75 cents lower. Lean hog futures backtracking after last week's advances. June down a dollar 25 at 97.72. On Wall Street, the Dow down 106 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, former Secretary of Agriculture and the President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. Well, we're hearing criticisms uh, being raised, uh, especially by some House Democrats on USMCA, saying it needs to be renegotiated. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there are a number of different ways to address any concerns. There are side agreements. There is implementing legislation that could provide some assurance to, to members. At the end of the day, I know a lot of members are currently concerned about the impact of retaliatory tariffs, and if they're not lifted, Mike, uh, that would basically negate the benefits of the trade agreement. So I, I think there are a lot of issues the administration has to deal with. I know Ambassador Lighthizer has been working hard, listening to folks and trying to figure out uh, the narrow path that all trade agreements have to pass uh, in order to get through the system. Uh, I'm confident that by the end of the day, people will realize that, at least for agriculture, this is an incredibly important uh, agreement. Important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. We always look forward to and enjoy our visits with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley, who joins us now. Senator, thanks for being with us. Uh, Glad to be with you, Mike. Thank you for having me. Well, let's talk about the the disaster uh, package. I know your state of Iowa is certainly one of the states hard hit by the by the flooding. The disaster aid package seems to be tied up, uh, I guess, still over Puerto Rico. Is that right, or can you give us an update? Yes, I can give you an update, and it is tied up over Puerto Rico. But uh, when it does pass, we do have language in it that will imply without a dollar figure, because we don't have a dollar figure yet uh, on the amount of money it will take to to bring uh, back uh, Iowa and Nebraska and Missouri. Uh, but we have language in there that would uh, imply that in supplemental appropriation bill there will be more money. Now, it could be that out of this $13.5 billion that's going for mostly for California fires and southeast agriculture and Puerto Rico, uh, there there might be some money left that we can uh, draw on. But like with every disaster, when that money's gone, there's kind of a consensus that Congress is going to, in a non-controversial way, uh, replenish it. So we have to take a full survey of, um, of the damage done in Iowa, besides what the governor of Nebraska estimated at one and seven tenths billion. The governor of Iowa, one and six tenths billion. Uh, we'll we'll have more firm figures, and then we'll start drawing the money and 
and another appropriation bill, we'll be able to plug in that amount of money. There's one thing that isn't in the law that has to be put in the law, and that's to cover the grain. Uh, the the uh, bins that have exploded because the corn gets wet, and it's uh, I, basically, as far as I know, it's all lost. Uh, that'll have to be covered, and we're told by the Appropriations Committee that they will put that in the bill as well. The, the difference over Puerto Rico that's blocked this so far, do you see a resolution to that issue? Oh, there'll have to be a resolution. Uh, government is an insurer of last resort, except maybe you might say crop insurance or flood insurance, but every other disaster, the government's assumed a, uh, a, a position of being insurer of last resort, and, uh, and we're going to fill that obligation. We always have. So USDA says they're running low on money on their programs to, to assist those that are hit by the floods. Uh, so they're needing that this uh, this package from Congress. you got an Easter recess coming up. Uh, how close are you, you think, to getting something done? I can't tell you. Uh, uh, the reason I can't tell you is I'm not the leader, I'm not the chairman of the Appropriations Committee, and that's where these negotiations are going on. But you do feel confident that there's going to be money in there for that lost grain uh, that was stored? Yes. Well, again, we haven't calculated exactly how much is lost, so it'll be uh, drawing on the money that's in here for the California fires, southeast uh, uh, agriculture disasters, other disasters, including Puerto Rico. But when that money runs out, grain or FEMA or anything else, a few programs in the Department of Agriculture, a few programs in the Small Business Administration, uh, but most of it's in FEMA, it's replenished without dispute. We're talking with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. Let's talk now about trade and, uh, in particular, your differences with the, the president when it comes to the use of tariffs. Well, uh, I, one place I want to compliment the president where probably I uh, spoke out too early, I don't think we'd be having what's going to be a pretty good deal with China if he hadn't put tariffs on China. Now, I know soybean farmers, and I sell soybeans, uh, they, we don't like to hear that because the retali- Chinese retaliated against it. But uh, we're going to get a good agreement out of it as a result. Now, in the case of Mexico and Canada, uh, the president put these tariffs on to get them to negotiate. Uh, the negotiations were successful from the president's point of view. Then the tariffs ought to go off. They're still on. Uh, but the president's got to realize Mexico's not going to take it up. Canada's not going to take it up. We aren't even going to take it up in the United States Congress unless those tariffs get off. Uh, I don't know why it takes so long, because we ought to be moving on this. The, pre- the, the economy's a little bit soft. Uh, some success on trade negotiations would really be a big boost to the economy. And uh, worse yet, uh, Canada, if they don't get this done by early June, they adjourn. Uh, they're, they're not going to come back until after their election in October. This may not be done this year, and if it isn't done this year, it's not going to be done in election year. So the president needs to uh, get off of uh, the pot and, uh, and uh, start doing things that will help him and the economy. Any way USMCA can pass in Congress without lifting those tariffs? No. What about uh, efforts to restrict the president's use of tariffs? Where do you stand with that? Yeah, we are in the process of rewriting the 1962 trade legislation under which the president put on what we call 232 tariffs. That's 232 from the section of the code. Uh, We don't have a bill written, so I can say that I can bring it before the Finance Committee, but we're trying to work out a difference between Senator Toomey, a Republican, Senator Portman, a Republican. They all have the same goals, uh, but there's some differences in their bill. 
Uh, I think we can work them out. And then, of course, we've got to be working with the Democrats because the president might veto this bill and we ought to have 67 votes to show the president we mean business. The, ter- uh, the president has made it clear he likes tariffs. He thinks they are a useful tool for him. As you said, maybe they have helped uh, with China. But uh, historically, agriculture has not seen uh, the benefits of tariffs. In fact, they feel that they've been harmful. So it's quite a philosophical difference here. Not only that, but a practical difference as well. Because he thinks that foreigners pay the tariffs. American consumers pay the tariffs. Just ask anybody that bought something with steel in it, and the price of steel's gone up because of the tariffs. So we'll see how that uh, the proceeds. And meanwhile, we have some members, some House Democrats, saying they think USMCA ought to be renegotiated. I mean, is there much well, push for that? I mean, to start over on that? Uh, credibility with Canada and Mexico if we went back to the table. Uh, We've got to uh, move ahead with it. There might be some things, uh, I don't know what they, uh, the people you're quoting want to renegotiate, but there's some things dealing with environment, labor, and uh, and enforcement that, quite frankly, we can handle uh, those Democrat complaints uh, through what you call annexes or side agreements that maybe we can work some things out there, but you can't go back to the table because uh, Mexico and Canada won't do it. We had a hard time getting to the table in the first place, and that's why uh, the tariffs were put on. Uh, the tar- and that's why the tariffs need to come off, because they negotiated in good faith. And the president is the best uh, uh, measure of that, because he says it's a good agreement. Hey, let's turn to biofuels and the RFS. Um having trouble seeing the difference between uh, EPA under Andrew Wheeler and what we saw under uh, Scott Pruitt when it comes to uh, these waivers for the RFS. They're still granting them. I think what they're granting is mostly what Pruitt Pruitt initiated in the first place, and he was uh, not at all careful. Now, I hope that I can say you're wrong. I, can't, I don't want to say you're wrong right now. Uh, I happen to think at this point, now maybe a month from now, uh, you'll catch me up on it. I'll have to tell you I was wrong. I think uh, uh, Wheeler's going to be a little more careful. Does that mean he's going to not put any uh, waivers on? I don't want to go that far, but I don't think it's going to be as liberal as Pruitt did it. And... Uh, uh, the other thing is, uh, I, I'm going to make an argument that that I make to Wheeler, uh, and that is, uh, remember two years ago, now maybe it's just 18 months ago, when this all started on the RFS, and big oil and the big refineries were getting these waivers, uh, they said they had to have some release because the uh, the waivers or the uh, RINs, certificates were costing 80 80 cents a a certificate they're down to less than 20 percent 20 cents now and they might i think they heard last week they were even lower than that so uh since the rins are a lot cheaper than when uh this whole controversy began why should we have to give any waivers if the reason for giving waivers is because it was uh it was expensive uh, and cause the the uh, small refineries uh, to uh, uh, be hardship, uh, and it was eighty cents, and it's under twenty cents now. There shouldn't be a hardship now if if the price of the rins was a problem. All right, Senator, thank you, and I hope you're right uh, that we're going to see uh, a change in direction, change in course with EPA uh, on these waivers. Thank you so much. Okay. Goodbye. Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. Always enjoy talking with the Senator. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at the condition of rural bridges with Mike Steenhook with the Soy Transportation Coalition. Stay with us here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. 
I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DMA 0031. All right, crew. Let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, former Secretary of Agriculture and the President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. Well, we're hearing criticisms uh, being raised, uh, especially by some House Democrats on USMCA, saying it needs to be renegotiated. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there are a number of different ways to address any concerns. There are side agreements. There is implemented legislation that could provide some assurance to, to members. At the end of the day, I know a lot of members are currently concerned about the impact of retaliatory tariffs, and if they're not lifted, Mike, uh, that would basically negate the benefits of the trade agreement. So I, I think there are a lot of issues the administration has to deal with. I know Ambassador Lighthizer has been working hard listening to folks and trying to figure out uh, the narrow path that all trade agreements have to pass uh, in order to get through the system. Uh, I'm confident that by the end of the day, people will realize that, at least for agriculture, this is an incredibly important uh, agreement. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Clean. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. 
Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, the American Road and Transportation Builders Association recently released an analysis of the U.S. Department of Transportation's 2018 National Bridge Inventory Database. And that analysis says 47,052 bridges in the U.S. are classified as structurally deficient. Let's talk about that with Mike Steenhook, the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thanks for joining us. That is an alarming number, over 47,000 bridges deficient. And that that certainly is an alarming number. And for those of us who care about rural America and about farming and agriculture, a high percentage of those bridges are in rural communities. And, you know, we certainly, for those of us who travel in rural areas, who reside in rural areas, this is not a surprise because we're, we're re- routinely encountering bridges that are posted, that are load-restricted, that are closed altogether. And this is the, the entity, rural, rural governments, whether it's a county government, municipal government, <clears throat> this is the, the, the level of government that does not have robust funding, uh, that has very limited ability to address it. So this is a real major challenge, and it certainly is having an impact Uh, on our ability to get products from farm to market. And you have a list of uh, some of those showing the condition of these rural bridges and the states that uh, they're most impacted by this. Yeah, in a lot of the real key soybean and and corn uh, producing states uh, throughout the Midwest and in the Plain states uh, with very high, whether it's outright number of bridges that are deficient or whether they have just a high percentage of their total bridges that are deficient. Uh, states like Iowa, Illinois, Missouri, you know, South Dakota, North Dakota, I mean, the list kind of keeps going on and on. So a lot of these, these states are really confronted with some, some major challenges. You know, this doesn't mean that the, you know, these bridges are just, you know, if one feather lands on it, it the bridge is going to collapse. I mean, the, these bridges are still able to accommodate traffic. But this deficient rating just simply means that there's one element of the bridge, whether it's the deck, the, the substructure, the superstructure, that needs to be attended sometime in the future. Um, some, a lot of these bridges are restricted. They're posted for weight. Um, but it's just kind of a, identifying we've got these bridges that need to be addressed sometime in the near future. Again, it doesn't mean that we have bridges collapsing left and right, but we do certainly have a problem. It's impeding our ability to get product efficiently from farm to ultimate customer. Well, hopefully this kind of a report would get the attention of those putting together an infrastructure package. Well, one of the things that, you know, we... You know, one of the things we routinely see is that nothing motivates like a catastrophe, and you'll have a bridge collapse. You know, the the classic example was in Minneapolis with the I-35 West Bridge, or all of the levees that were that were uh, you know degraded and destroyed during Hurricane Katrina. So all of a sudden, you have this catastrophe, and then you know the federal government rides in with you know showering money. Well, wouldn't it be better to try to get that kind of activity and response from the federal government before the catastrophe? And so that's one of the one of the virtues of doing this kind of reporting is you kind of present here's what the 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 dire consequences of this inattention could be uh, if we remain on this trajectory this this lackadaisical response to our infrastructure and then hopefully trying to paint that picture as vividly as you can to try to get that action before you have the catastrophe with all of the damage with all of the potential loss of life and the real detrimental impact to our commerce. You know, when you look at, and we've talked a lot about the the need to get something done on infrastructure, but when you talk about bridges, you talk about roads, you talk about locks and dams, you talk about broadband needs, I mean, on the one hand, you say, wow, it's so huge, how are we ever going to address all this? On the other hand, because it's so huge, it it ought to get something done, I would think, in Washington, even though up till now, not much seems to have been done. You know, I always try to use the analogy of of scaling Mount Everest. I mean, you know, certain people look at that big mountain and they say, 
I am ne- it is so tall, I will therefore never try to scale it. Other people look at it and say, it's a real tall mountain, but if I take one step and then another step and another step and another step, eventually you're actually going to, provided that you're healthy and you're experienced, of course, uh, with mountain climbing, you eventually will get to that summit. And I think with all of these real significant challenges that confront our country, infrastructure certainly is one of them. Let's just try to attack to uh, tackle it one step at a time, to move the needle a little bit today, and then you build some momentum to move the needle a little bit tomorrow. And then when if you continue to do that, you, you could actually look back over your shoulder and see, you know, we don't have a perfect infrastructure, but we've really made a difference. And that's what really the things that we really try to focus on. You know, that makes sense, which worries me is why it won't get done in Washington, because it seems their approach is if we can't fix everything, don't fix anything. And and so often that leads to not much getting done. Yeah, you know, I, I think you know, the the other analogy is that a lot of times in, in Congress and in Washington, D.C., it's either they're going to try to throw a Hail Mary touchdown pass, or if they can't do that, then they won't, they won't do anything. And, you know, one of the things you learn in football is that if you get 3.4 yards per possession, per possession, you will continue to get first downs, and you will continue to uh, actually, you'll find your way into the end zone, and, and that's what we really try to do. And, but, you know, constituent groups like us can really hold our elected officials accountable on this to really you know, focus on here are the things that are doable, that are tangible, that are, you know, bite-sized increments that you can actually get done with, whether it's rural roads and bridges, whether it's, you know, re- maintaining and, and repairing needed locks and dams, dredging the lower Mississippi River, and so really making sure that we're presenting that in that kind of manner and, and really asking them, hey, we're not asking for the perfect. We're just asking for the good. We're asking for improvement. And so I think we can really play a meaningful role in, in expressing that. All right, Mike, as always, thanks for the perspective. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Take care. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. With that, we wrap it up for today. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to take a look at the ag economy in general, the dairy economy in particular. We're also going to talk trade uh, with the American Soybean Association, more on the RFS with the American Coalition for Ethanol. Busy show coming tomorrow. Hope you'll join us here on AOA. Powerful, effective, proven, tough, consistent, reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds. All backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions.